Podcast too. I Remember that? Podcast. Hobbit skillet. But what about second breakfast? Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast here mm-hmm. with a little <laughs> episode uh-huh. in a land of Middle Earth. I was going to say, you're like building up, but it is like in the description of the episode. It's not like you're like building up to a big surprise or something. Right? If you caught those little Easter eggs in the theme song where Ernie <laughs> yelled, you shall not pass. You, you might shall not know podcast. what we're talking about. It's a short little episode capable of changing the world. Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Hey. Hello. Hey, How's man. everybody doing? Hey. I'm good. I'm, I I always I really appreciate you plugging us into the laptop to hear the theme song and then unplugging and plugging back. It's a new theme. Yeah, I I, re- I want to hear it in the headphone. I just, they, they yeah. don't need the behind the scenes of how it works. Yeah, they do. <laughs> a, little, a little peek behind the curtain. We'll, we'll we'll put that snippet on the Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just send it straight to Brian. In fact, <laughs> we'll send you some like white noise static from when he was plugging it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it'll be on a loop, like the electricity just feeding yeah. back mm-hmm. on itself. Sub to the Patreon for room tone exclusives. <laughs> <laughs> Glitches only. <laughs> yeah, weren't you talking about like scratching the DVD as like a soundbite for this episode? Not the DVD. I have the the extended edition box set of the Fellowship of the Ring right here, and it looked like a book. It's nice. <laughs> it's elvish, nice. elvish leather. Ah, yeah, that's nice. Is that a thing? No, they're vegan, right? They're elves. They make like mithril. That's a big thing. Elvish leather implies <laughs> that they leather eat made the of mithril elves. that they make. <laughs> I don't think it's made. Dwarvish of leather. They're more like the carnivore but do- type, right? So dwarves do live like underground. I'm not sure like what they'll be doing just like making. Uh, I I mean, electricity isn't in this world, so I don't know where you're watching. Uh, I'm, these I'm films. folding out know. the extended okay. edition. What are their DVDs made of in see. the book? Huh? Yeah, uh, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brett Nemiroff's hey. here. Hey. Hey. Hey, and I'm, I'm Drew. <laughs> I'm I'm Hunter, but I am keeping tabs on the NBA playoffs that are happening right now. And What's, I'm Legolas. Wow. That's earnest. Well, I'm mm. excited to just spend like 45 minutes just talking about how much of a fox Orlando Bloom was in there. Yeah, honestly, because Ernie, you kind of you look like a way more attractive version of uh, Agent Smith. I don't, I don't remember his character's name in Lord of the Rings, but <laughs> Hugo Weaving. What? Hugo Weaving. Yeah, you look like Hugo Weaving, but, but without the like crazy uh, evil eyebrows. So oh, did, like the Matrix. Okay. Did you yeah, guys yeah. see the screen cap that I posted on our film chat? Of the scene where like Frodo is waking up in Rivendell and it's like Elrond's face like superimposed on the right side of the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's that's a, a really there's some rough effects, but let's not get into that. I know there's one effects. in particular that is uh really, really rough. Some very early two thousand CGI that yeah, I wanted to talk about. A lot of it I found surprisingly forgivable though. Mm-hmm. For for yeah. especially for two thousand one, but there are a lot of really complex things going on that like I still think most movies can't nail. So I can forgive Lord of the Rings for not nailing it back then. Yeah, I mean we'll get into it, but like the use of practical effects and miniatures while shooting is just it every this is why every movie should just be done practically 
At least with mostly practical yeah, as much effects. as possible. Yeah, but I, I was know. just watching. Do you guys know the Corridor Digital guys? Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. They, um, you know, they have videos like reviewing uh, effects, and they. I was just watching one about the Lord of the Rings, and they go over all of that. They look at the good and the bad, and you see all the miniatures. Yeah. And it was at this like. Um, oh, oh, we yes, got pizza Lee? up in this bitch. Oh, hell oh, yes, man. thank you. What the hell? What you don't know anything about what I do. Before so I today uh, we are celebrating. The third anniversary of We Bought a Mic. With some ASMR pizza eating. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So let's raise a claw to Wabam. Or should I say a um clank. a uh, clank, clank, clank. A, a, a wizard. Uh, a mead. <laughs> you guys suck at this. Especially you, Drew. A hobbit. A good a hobbit said let's raise a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> a wizard claw. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> Uh, no. A wizard claw? What is this? A Gandalf the White Claw. Come on. <laughs> there, it's sitting no, right that's there. That's the next movie. Yeah, that's the next movie. Oh, Samuron the White Claw. Samuron? Samuron. Samurai. Saruman. Okay, there you go. The White. We see ourselves as fantasy experts. We should. Here. Ernest, you still have not opened the claw that is in front of you right now. And, uh, well, okay. I was going to say third anniversary of We Bought a Mic yep. right here. It was technically last week, but we have Brett on. He's mm -hmm. our, uh, the friend of the mm -hmm. pod. Right. Were you the um, original guest? I was yes. the original friend. You, you were the first guest that before we before the pod, pre-pod. Yeah. <laughs> I nothing well, counts before pre-pod. Yeah, can you imagine a world pre-pod? I, yeah, I can't even God. remember. Ugh, gross. Three years though, it's crazy. It's crazy, mm -hmm. absolutely crazy. The first episode you were on was Mother. Oh man, that was a great episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Long ago. Um, better podcast. Some people would say it's a better podcast episode than it is the movie. <laughs> Fuck, I, I would say well, that. you would say that it's part of your take essentially and uh we've come a long way from that since then now brett is a donor brian adams is also a donor and we have a new donor to thank this week shout out to dane oh he's a new donor he gave me his liver i did he did so wow. we did see dane this weekend and i did like i so I broke one of his kneecaps and I threatened to break the other one if he did not donate to us. Mm -hmm. oh, so, so, yeah. So there was it was a threat. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that. Oh, Maybe. another big victory. Uh, Ari Dane at, past this weekend. He texted me today that he is now fully into 100 Gex. Oh, <laughs> hell yes. The hive grows. It's you happening. Yeah, yet, don't dude. munch. Don't munch close to the microphone, please. <laughs> what do you think I am? <laughs> this is. Nightmare for podcasting. I mean, it's better than um, when we were doing the Game of Thrones pods, like blasted out of our minds. The the instant reactions. Yeah, we're just like chewing chips while we're talking about Game of Thrones. Yeah, that was great. After Monsters. like drinking an that. entire case of beer. During yeah, well, the last season called for it. Yeah. So, right. um, so thanks to Dane for donating. Thank you, Brett, for being on the show and for donating too. Thank you. Um. Today we're so so you guys just said that you guys saw Dane this week. So one of the reasons why uh, the reason why you saw Dane is because you guys were doing a fantasy football draft. You all got together to do that. And so because that I figured, you know, they're going to be busy with NFL shit. Why ask to cram all three Lord of the Rings movies into one week? 
because we figured, you know, we knew we were going to jump into Hunter's uh, little Oscar watch through again because yeah. of Return of the I, King. I Because I don't want to go out of order in my Oscar watch through, I have just watched the movie Chicago three times already. Oh. I'm just, I'm stuck on a loop. I can't move oh. past it until we get to Return of the King. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you for letting us just linger on Chicago for a little bit longer so we can really soak in all that there is to Middle Earth. Because it was going to be kind of a daunting task to deal with. I mean, if we're just talking theatrically over nine hours of content uh, in a one hour podcast. Yeah, I I actually got Drew to watch Lord of the Rings by telling him about Hobbit basketball. And then he was finally (laughs) interested in watching. (laughs) Is this a real thing? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're really short. <laughs> They're short. Isn't I, just, I just had a whole image in my but mind. Like, of- you should see their ball handling skills. Like, my God. Mm, they're scrappy. Samwise is like, he's the next Kendrick Perkins. So we, oh. we thought, we thought, let's not cram all three movies into one pod. Let's space them out. So next week, uh, hopefully, Brett, you'll be back for Towers in Return. That's the plan. Yep. Um, also, there's a new Christopher Nolan movie coming out that we might talk about, but... That's for another podcast. Um, before we get into fellowship, we did want to commemorate the life of Mr. Chadwick Boseman, who passed this past weekend. Huge shock. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody knew that he had cancer. And then, boom, the news drops that he died. Absolutely devastating. Absolutely, like, fucking gut punch. So I figured we might as well acknowledge it. Um because everybody was kind of taken aback by this when we heard the news. And, you know, me, at least, I uh, I was kind of in a denial space a little bit. Just like, how can this even be true? Like, there's no way this is true. Yeah. It's like one of those things. It kind of took me back to when Heath Ledger died and I heard those news. And the immediate thought is like, no, 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 no. There must be some mistake. No way. And then, you know, now it's been a couple of days and it's like, damn, he's... He's he's gone. He's gone. And and it's so sad because it's it seemed like he was just getting started. You know, we just reviewed the five bloods um, a couple months ago, and I did sort of harp on his performance a little bit that pod. So I am canceled Ooh. and I will be signing off. Uh, I, I was very, quitting the podcast. I was right very now. positive about his performance. Mm. He's great in it. He's great in it. So that's why I'm canceled. That's why I'm canceled. Yeah, this this blows. He was uh, I've never I've never seen him do bad ever in any film. Like whatever he was in, he elevated it. You know what I appreciate is since his passing, unfortunately, kind of everybody's been grieving. Um, and there's been more information revealed about his life and his actions um, over the last few years. Yeah. And he's been revealed to be like a really great person. Yeah, he was a wholly mm-hmm. good man who did a lot of good and uh really never did any like he just he he made so many right moves uh career wise but then also maintained the humanity it's just kind of crazy that like i mean for one that he did pass away like i was uh, you said it Ernest. like i had that moment of shock too we were at we got a little space to do the fancy football draft and my sister actually texted me before it even like broke anywhere. Um, and it was just, I'd like said it to everybody. It was like kind of like a no way reaction. Like there's, this can't be real. This is like maybe something happened, but maybe he like tested positive for COVID and things just spread like that. But 
I mean, it's crazy that he has been battling cancer this long and nobody knew. I mean, even like apparently nobody at Disney knew. Yeah, nobody. Did. I mean, obvi- you have to think that Insane. obviously they didn't know because why would Feige and Coogler have all these plans for making all these additional Black Panther movies? Like, I think that he thought that he did not want to. He's a very proud person, and I mean that in a great way. That like he did not want him fighting this battle with cancer to reflect on him how the way that people viewed him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, again, I just keep thinking like, I know that his career in Hollywood is not the biggest thing to worry about when a life is lost. Cause you know, his family is hurting, his friends are hurting, but I just keep thinking like he was positioned to be like the big star. You know, harping back on what Drew was saying, I think he brought a lot of humanity to those movies and and to the Avengers definitely be missed. Yeah, he rocked. And I mean, obviously, the news is starting to trickle out now that it's been, you know, the dubbed appropriate amount of time uh, that Disney is reeling right now. They do not know what to do. Uh, T'Challa figured in very heavily into their future. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, that's going to be something. To- yeah, it's uh, aside from kind of the corporate element, which is kind of the core of Disney's game. It's so tragic because like there really aren't black superheroes out there. And the fact that, that was the Chadwick Boseman meant so much to so many people of color who were out there that they could look up in the screen and say, that's a hero who looks like me meant so much and i again i mean my thoughts are more so with his friends and family and people who he was close with but his his reach when somebody like this somebody actor of this caliber but also of this magnitude dies like it's just sends the whole world into a bit of heartbreak yeah there was there was i think there was i think it was micah peters on twitter uh, said something along the lines of like, when do we get a fucking break? You know, you have this year, like you have a pandemic, you have a huge Black Lives Matter movement, you have black people getting murdered, like caught on camera, shared to Twitter, like huge protests, huge riots. And then Black Panther himself dies mm. of cancer. Well, and before that, I mean, Kobe Bryant also died this year. Kobe fucking Bryant. Another That's like, like a, I mean, that a was before the pandemic, but still. Like still, dude, it's like you got to feel for the community, for the black community of that thinking, like, especially if you if you have a child, if you're a kid, you know, like, how do you explain to them? How do you get to a point where you can tell them, like, everything's going to be okay when it feels so hopeless? You know, that's really the thing that hit me the most about this, because celebrities, their their deaths, you know, they're not they're usually not every celebrity death hits the same, right? But every once in a while you get one that's like, fuck, this is a little bit, this dig is just a little bit deeper than it otherwise would be. And I think that this one, it just, it stings, man. It yeah, it's definitely, it, it's hurt me. I think it's also because of his age, um, but it's the the most I've felt for a celebrity death since Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he was he was uh, he was a drug addict, so that yeah. was a whole nother thing. Yeah, but I, that's well, that's kind of the thing with like Philip Seymour Hoffman or even like Robin Williams, those kind of types. They're like either older Ooh, or they Williams. have 
had like they either were currently addicted to drugs or used to be that they already had lower expected lifespans to them. But that's what's so shocking about Chadwick Boseman dying. Smart move to not tell the press, by the way, because he did so much fucking press for Black Mirror and for it to all be about his cancer. Would Black have been Panther? Black. No. Black Mirror. Um, it would have been a fucking nightmare. Like imagine like all of the junkets he had to do all of so the red carpets. The cancer. Well, like what an absolute shit show that would have been. Uh, so props to him for not feeling the need to tell everyone. And for doing you don't gotta. the output that he had since his diagnosis. Apparently he's had cancer for he had cancer for four years mm. and the he came he made like 10 movies in four years yeah i would all I with would, cancer i would go ahead and like go to bed immediately if i found out i could like you know it, i would not continue to produce he incredible took it things. as an opportunity to step up mm-hmm. and do like his life's work all in one shot it's insane yeah. unbelievable do Plus. we do we think that every person who made uh jokes about um chadwick boseman half-heartedly doing wakanda forever symbols at uh different press junkets and red carpets deleted those uh tweets since then because oh. now in hindsight and you're like oh no he's probably like undergoing treatment yeah. right now that's why he hasn't look like his that's, head and harder fully thing. in this you never know what people got going on yeah you never know especially if you're in the in the spotlight of the press like you don't don't judge people don't assume things about their lives um so rest in power chadwick we hope that you're doing well in wherever you may lay i hope that there is some sort of black panther afterlife because it's probably better than the shit we're in right now I did. Did you guys catch any of the ABC tribute no. that they had to him? Mm-hmm. I uh, I saw just a little bit, and it did like really break me up because I wanted to watch. They played Black Panther like commercial free right before, and then they did a tribute. That tribute, I think, is just kind of out on the internet now that you can find if you want to. Let me tell you, it's a it's a fucking gut punch to watch um, because it is so many people who were close to him that talk about like how much he meant and how special of a person he was. But it's just I mean, it it hurts. It goes to show we we when we not just I mean, before we even started this podcast, the reason I started this podcast is because things like movies and television mean so much to us. Mm -hmm. But it shows that there's much bigger things out there in this world. And yet those things like movies can be so impactful for having actors create such a big influence in our lives. Yep. Well said. All right. Well, let's move on to, well, before we get to fellowship, Brett, did you have anything else that you wanted to plug? Yeah, I'll do a quick little plug here. Um, So we have a video game coming out, a little quick video game corner. This game is called Spellbreak. Uh, developed by a company called Proletariat. And this was in beta for a while, and a lot of people were playing it. You had some big names hopping in to see what it was like, namely like Shroud. Um, Is that a big streamer? Yeah, he's he's a huge streamer. Mm. Um, you know, kind of closer to Ninja level, if you know who Ninja is. Um, uh, blue-haired guy. Yeah. Oh my god. So I mean I mean we're talking I mean we're talking like million millionaire like these guys. Anyways, so this game Spellbreak is like a battle royale style, but more of you pick up gauntlets that have elemental powers and you shoot out spells and you fly around. Really fun game. Um, and I've been anticipating it for a really long time. So I'm going to start streaming it uh, when it releases. I mean, th- this episode will be out by the time I do that. We'll 
I'll probably already do that first stream by the time this episode comes out. But you can find me at twitch.tv popsicle profit is the name I've gone with. Um, so I'd love to see you guys come out, hang out. If you like Wabam, you're going to love the stream. These guys will be there. We'll be there. Um, Cross promotion synergy. Yep. They'll be there. We'll be we'll be having a blast. We'll be having some fun. Check out the game. Spellbreak on Twitch. And then we'll put Popsicle Profits info Prof- in the show notes. Oh, profit. Uh, well, apostrophe oh. S, you say. Jesus. Pop- Popsicle Profits. Popsicle's Profit? <laughs> Popsicle Pop Fit. It's actually Popsicle Profits Monster. <laughs> <laughs> say, say, Brett. Say. Popsicle Profit. <laughs> there you go. It's not that new. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh so yes um let's move on to we bought a mic one <laughs> pod to rule them all one pod to find them one pod to bring them all together and in the darkness cast them. <laughs> you fellowship of the ring. <laughs> you really did write this whole down. Yeah. No, it's I'm just reading off of the IMDB together. <laughs> that we're just gonna let that go, but nope. Nope. Okay. That's like that is the height of comedy to me is mm-hmm. fuck ups like that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about all three of these movies, but today we're only going to focus on the first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, and it's a big boy. It's a little hefty, little fatty. Yeah, just like like Pete Jackson himself. Yeah, he is a little, yeah. So we're we're fat shaming. (laughs) No. I I think he's just like fucking Samwise. God. Whoa. Hey, (laughs) protect Samwise at all costs. I know. I I don't The ending of this movie, when Samwise runs in the water, (laughs) I was sobbing. Kind of unintentional comedy a little bit. So are we starting backwards? No, 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 no. No, entirely unintentional comedy because I'm just like, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, why Frodo just like fucking lets him die? <laughs> Frodo just like watches his friend like, drown. Yeah, the, the comedy for me is how like Frodo gets stabbed at every fight. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Elijah would a uh, rough, tough break for him and all of these movies. I mean, he gets like the shit beat out of him. In yeah, all of these movies. I mean, Elijah Wood himself does a he does a fine job. That's what I would say. I mean, he, I mean, he might like be overacting. We could get more into it, but it's, he's, he got he got cast on eyes. <laughs> the 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 note was eyes, and he won uh, for eyes. And more power to him for that. I think he's fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. I actually think he might be the best part. That's crazy. Maybe think, maybe second only to Ian McKellen as Gandalf. Can, yeah, Vigo, yeah, man, I, you can't. Vigo's no, great. So that's the thing I want. So this is, I would say Frodo. Well, I'd say that Gandalf is the MVP, but I'd also say Gandalf is just kind of the MVP in everything Lord of the Rings that he's in. He just has such a command of the screen. I think that this is the best Frodo performance of any movie. Mm. Otherwise, I think that like Vigo gives a better performance in Return of the King. Yeah. I think that Mary and Pip do better in Two Towers. Like this is, I this isn't my favorite of the trilogy. 
I think my favorite is Return of the King because that has so much. It knows how to stick the landing in such an effective, emotional way where we see so many trilogies completely fail at that. Um, But I do uh, I I think that everybody else. They're all great in this movie, but I think that this is uh, they have better spots where this is the best Frodo. So we'll we'll get into the cast, but let's let's take a step back. Let's. Let's set the stage here because we're going to do three pods on these movies. The year was 1984. J.R.R. Tolkien was a coke blowing, uh, booze loving, freewheeling writer driving a freaking Corvette to Vegas. Ronald Reagan is president. (laughs) This is unspooled. Uh, So what what, who is this man? (laughs) (laughs) J.R.R.? Or Peter Jackson. Yeah, tell sure. me about him. Tell me about J.R.R. Oh, I can give you a little bit of background on Peter Jackson if you want. No, I don't Before. I don't want to set the stage that much. We, no, we, we got to get into we have three and a half hours I'm, theatrical <laughs> cut can, to go over. All right, fine. I will just say for Peter Jackson, uh, every person should watch Dead Alive. It's a fucking masterpiece from Peter I, Jackson. I couldn't find it. How it's, do you watch that So movie? Peter Jackson is like ashamed of that movie, but it's fucking incredible. It's like a perfect like comedy, comedy, uh, comedy, zombie comedy, <laughs> comedy horror movie. I, I kind of I have an idea of how I wanted to kind of kick off the discussion. Well, if you don't mind, I I think we should talk about like what our relationship is to these movies. Okay. Like how how do you feel about them in general? What how did you enter this world? Tell us, Brett. Yeah, sure. So I'm like a pretty massive Lord of the Rings stan. I'm, I wouldn't call myself like a super fan. I'm not on forums like talking with people, but I've you know read the read the books like the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings books. And right now I'm wearing Lord of the Rings socks. I have like a Balrog figure. Okay, let me see them. I need to see this. Hike up that. Ooh, all right. They say not uh, not all who wander are lost. I remember those socks. I think think like Gandalf says that about Aragorn in the book, if I remember correctly. Mm. It's a really great line. But yeah, I love I love these movies. It really stuck with me. I think in my discussions of the movie, as we go, the way I talk about the characters and what's important about this story... You'll get a you'll get a better feeling about my relationship and why it's important to me. Mm. Well, I had essentially no relationship to any of this. Um, I saw these movies, maybe not in whole. I couldn't tell you for sure uh, years ago. And uh, I'm I would not consider myself a general fan of fantasy. Um, however, this obviously transcends that. It's an awesome movie and an awesome series and obviously awesome books haven't read them myself however uh it's also very remarkable because it's just about as sacred of a book as you could try to adapt and to execute it so well and make a series of movies that are almost just as well regarded Uh, obviously they don't have like the sands of time like the books do but they're they hold up Mm. i Uh, mean they pretty much do it's been like 20 years and 19 years since the original they're they're very they're very nice to watch this first one uh fascinated me because it doesn't really feel too long and i usually feel length uh pretty pretty uh sharply i would say it's a three-hour boy straight mm up it's because there's reasons for that it's yeah it's 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 chopped up in very effective ways into a series of sort of uh mini battles almost video game style yeah if you take if you take a step back 
you get like barely anything of each individual scene that's happening. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so fast paced in a way that doesn't lose you in a way that makes sense. It, it has to be, though, because they're trying to cram all of this plot that already exists in the text into a film. And it's honestly like so impressive that it doesn't feel like you're on a speeding bullet to fucking off a cliff. Yeah. yeah, to Mordor, exactly. Yeah, like it. You actually get these moments of of slowing down, even if even if the movie just kind of doesn't stop. Yeah, you do feel like there is downtime. There's a there's a couple moments, but what you don't get is like them stopping like in camping, you know, because these, this is, you know, a long journey. Yeah. If you, if you think about it, you, you don't see what like life is like in between, but you don't miss it. But then again, if you question it, you can go read the books. Yes. You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, there's, and there is like enough there to provide little character moments throughout. Mm-hmm. Like we still have, despite the fact Aragorn, like is not a, key key figure yet in this story he kind of becomes one but i mean he isn't even introduced until over an hour into the movie but we do get that one scene with him and Liv tyler when they're like there together and they're kind of showing their love for each other and then we have another moment with him where it's just like it is revealed that he is the king even with people like legolas and gimli who don't have as much to do in this movie as they do in some of the feature films, wherever the group kind of gets split off a little bit more, you still get enough of their personalities that they feel like a real person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all they all have a good core to them. Um, the, it, the movie also does a very surprisingly good job, I think, of sort of brushing over a lot of uh like lore details that are simply just mentioned only to move things forward. They'll be like, Oh look, it's the sword of blank. And you don't know what that means. If you, if you are not deep into the lore, if you haven't read the books, however, the way that it is done is just enough. They're giving you just enough that you're not like, Oh, that's cheap. Yeah. And you don't check out if you feel like you're lost because you're still invested in the characters. And they, they do a good job of dumping a ton of, uh, exposition but then also holding back and knowing when you don't need to hear everything you just need to hear what is going to move things forward yeah smart well, so, i mean that's smart why shit. really that's smart why i'd script. say that this is i mean this is the best trilogy i think in history um i mean the other like nominees are of shrek. course the original trilogy shrek uh but that became a quadrilogy i'm uh, eliminating a movie that had a fourth to I mean, but this had the hobbits <laughs> I can see. Hobbits. I consider there's like a completely different thing. It's, it's totally a different thing. Yeah, you like get, I just you, I, the, the reason why it's a different thing is because at the beginning of the movie, you get a little snippet, you get little tiny details at the beginning of the movie, even the intro. Mm-hmm. That kind that of prologue, it gives you like a, a it massive, gives you a tiny yeah. bit of Hobbit to get you going into yeah. the rest of the yeah. movie. It, it shows Bilbo, you know, Ian Holm looks like Martin Freeman yeah. in that one shot, mm-hmm. it's like retroactively. Bad, yeah. You know, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, by the way, R.I.P. Ian Holm. He's amazing. He, I that first scene when he leaves Gandalf and it like kind of like you get some good close ups going yeah. back and forth with them. It did like make me choke up a bit. Like I know just how I'm gonna this. end my book. Yeah, that was that really got me. But I think that this is stands as I, I the other the only other real nominee that I'd say that's nailed it with all three films is uh, the before trilogy. But oh yeah, I mean that's not. So I'm talking about like franchise IP and even scale. Like, yeah, 
even like The Godfather, which the first two movies are some of the best movies of all time, but it couldn't stick the landing on the third movie. I've it's never, so I've hard. Never seen part three. It's so hard to actually have a full cohesive story told over three films and it work out well. I gotta, I gotta wave my Planet of the Apes flag over here. <laughs> Do you think that Planet of the Apes is on the same level though as Lord of the Rings? I mean, if no, you just look no. at the if you just look at the new <laughs> no. ones, Rise, Dawn, and War. No, it's close. I I don't think it's close. I really like those movies a lot, but I do not think well, that they are on the I same think tiers. At the very like Rise alone is so much worse than any Lord yes. of the Rings. Yeah. Isn't, wait, yes. isn't, isn't Andy Circus the Yeah, yep. hell yeah, yeah, he is. Andy Circus home. Um no, but I think that one of the things that makes this franchise so great is that there is stuff for everybody. This has, while it plays, of course, I haven't read the book, so I am just kind of speaking from hearsay. Um, but if it, only someone here had read the book, yeah, I, then we, we could don't consult know. Them, we but. just don't know. Um, <laughs> so, but it, there's enough there paid to the books and to the lore of the world and the world building setup that that fantasy box is checked and that it feels real and lived in. But it also has big set pieces. It also has stuff for like little kids to go watch. I saw this movie first time whenever I was like probably like eight or so. And I loved it. Cause I was just like, look, the little hobbits are my size and they're going on adventure. I want to do that. Right. That's so what, what I wanted to establish and I have a couple questions. So I'll let you guys answer them and then, you know, I'll, I'll give my feedback. First of all, this is the most extraordinary example of world building, especially fantasy ever, which goes to what Hunter was saying, because you have so many details rooted in the literature. So mm-hmm. Peter Jackson did have a lot to work with and he's a genius in his own right. Um, so I didn't really want to, I did read the books, but I didn't want to talk too much about the books here because we're reviewing the fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm thinking of is there's so much written material, but what details are important for world building in a visual way that make this story so compelling? So just completely eliminating anything that's said, just what you see. No, not, not necessarily. I, I just mean from an adaptation standpint, because you are given certain snippets. Uh, so- I, oh, I, I think it's a lot like uh, what people say about good characters, which is you can imagine their external life outside of the frame. I think world building is a lot like that, too, where at the very you need to imagine you can't be like, OK, they you know, they made a set. You you have to think, OK, this is a fleshed out location that I could see operating outside the context right. of a scene. New like this, Zealand. Like, this looks like a place. And like this guy's <laughs> grandfather might have lived here yeah. well, outside of the context. To that point, I mean, whenever I was like kind of looking up stuff, one thing that I didn't know, I knew a lot about the behind the scenes of this movie. I didn't realize that they made Hobbiton like a year. They built the set a year before they ever started shooting to make it feel more yes. lifted, to have kind of that shrubbery start to naturally yeah. grow over the so, set uh, and everything. I got my little uh, extended edition <sighs> DVD over here. Um, this is like me with a crate. Now I know why you guys get so annoyed. There's uh, there are so many special features on this thing that I didn't have time to watch all of them. There is this podcast. You can listener find on YouTube for free of the feature length behind the scenes. documentary. No, no, no. You get the DVD. <laughs> you buy the $50 still, extended cut. Still waiting on that 4K release. Peter Jackson is just like hiding it in a vault somewhere. So that moment, th- there's a moment in the special features where Peter Jackson sees the Shire for the first time oh. after they've been building it for like a year. And he's like silent for like a second. And he's like, uh, needs more shrubs over there. <laughs> are we going to, are we going to get some more bushes over here? That's some psychopath shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> Truly. I mean, they weren't finished with it. Of course there's going to be more shit. <laughs> no, no. Why, why aren't you in awe? I maybe say that was, as a compliment. Maybe he was in, maybe he was self-conscious that there was like a camera pointed in his face and he like didn't know how to react and he was like so overwhelmed. <laughs> he's but he was just like, in like director mode, you yeah. know, he's just yeah, full, full business mode. But this, this production like was a huge deal for, for New Zealand. Like the government was like heavily involved to make sure that they had everything that they needed wow. to, to, they had to build roads to like the middle of nowhere the, the to orcs, build certain things. The orcs are played by members of New Zealand's army. I love that. Yeah. Doesn't That's that rock? such a cool thing. Which, yeah, being in New Zealand's army is a sweet deal because A, you never fight anyone ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never heard about New Zealand, Zealand going I, to Yeah, they're, they're more actors now than they are soldiers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, dude. just just like quickly, the those orcs. When we're talking visuals, the orcs, and then the introduction of the Urukai soldiers yeah. is absolutely mind blowing. They're like hybrid beings. That's, they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's like arguably my favorite scene in the entire movie is that whole sequence of and especially all practical. Yeah, it's all practical, and that is. Because, I mean, before Peter Jackson made the Lord of the Rings movies, he made horror films. And, like, that is the closest thing that we see of, like, the origins of Peter Jackson is in the way that he crafts them. When, um, uh, I, for, what's the name of the chief orc, um, uh, Tull? Like Lertz? Lertz, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, see, this Tull. is why we have you Yeah, on we got to have you on here. I, Lertz, <laughs> I would Tull. never known that. Um, whenever you see him, like, emerge from the sack and everything, it's almost like something from Alien. Like, it doesn't, yeah. it seems otherworldly. Oh, other it's world. incredible looking, yeah. Um, I also, sp- like, I had to look up, because I was like, how did they accomplish the sound design of the Urukai? The, the the noises they make is it are, like a pit bull growling or something? It, well, like exactly. That. Yeah, I knew it was animals, but I couldn't c- quite trace. I thought it might be horses at times. So the aggressive sounds come mostly from lions and tigers, and then all of the pain noises, which is what you really hear. You hear so many insane shrieks that truly like make you look. Yeah, uh, sea lions. <laughs> nice. Wow, yeah, that's awesome that's to me. So is cool. that, that that's like a predator, right? The, those are dangerous animals. They they can fuck you up. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think they're naturally aggressive. Those but, those sounds though are like nails on a chalkboard. Like they make you like your eyes just like drift straight. Yeah, to the there's there's so man. I I just want to get so deep into everything, but like that scene that Hunter's talking about. There's like so many textures. You have the beating on the anvils of their Oof. swords, and it's all hard yeah. and hot. The and then you have yeah, and then you have them coming shit. out of their sacks from like under the trees, mm. and it's soft and gross. Also, I mean, we'll talk about some of the CGI that hasn't aged the best, but that shot when you were going like down into the mines like and everything is like down. that's just like a full that's a CGI shot like that they didn't actually do that with the camera it, it holds it up looks incredible yeah. because it does look so textured and so real so hold on how did everybody watch this did everybody check out the HBO Max stream no, I, you no I have the blu-ray blu-ray I think I, I like rented it on Amazon my roommate had it on YouTube okay so the extended edition DVD, the quality of the color is for some reason very different than the stream on HBO Max. But not is it better? Color corrected or it's I, I don't think I don't know why, but like I think it might just be across the board extended versus theatrical. Like those two cuts, wherever you find them, might just be like a little bit different looking, like t- color wise. Mm. And to me, I, I I have yet to say this on the pod, but I've already told you guys, I prefer the theatrical cut 
Like I watched both of them before doing this podcast. And now for Towers in Return, I think I'm just going to revisit the theatrical. I, yeah. I might I might go ahead and check out Extended uh, Return just because I have it on Blu-ray and I might as well. But at least for Fellowship, like at least the 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 look of the shots for the theatrical cut, they looked a lot more natural. Mm-hmm. The Extended just had a little bit more of like they hit the, the contrast and saturation slider a little bit too hard and just mm. it doesn't look as natural. Mm. And then the the pacing is a whole nother thing. Yeah. We were just talking about this before we started recording. But the theatrical cut, it's a three hour movie. It fucking flows. Yeah, it, you, it is smooth when you when you watch the, the longer cut, you can feel it drag a little bit more. Yeah, considerably. Definitely. I was shocked how much it dragged. It's, I mean, it's a half hour of extra footage, which adds up to a good bit. But I was like really shocked at how different the pacing was. And the stuff that they add is not really that crucial. I mean, it's things that you know if you're a mega fan and it's things that set up later payoff payoffs <clears throat> and towers and return. Like, for example, there's a conversation that uh, uh, Frodo has with with Gandalf about Smeagol being uh, Gollum. Mm. And there's a, a, a couple of extra setups about uh, Aragorn returning to his throne. But other than like, you don't really need you that. Don't, you don't need mm-hmm. that because the two things you just said were already uh, addressed. Yeah. And it's, well, it's like, it's like we were saying about silence of the lambs and how it maintains incredible pacing. And oh, it, fuck, the, I love that movie. yeah. And the couple scenes that Favorite were cut were, they it's not that they were bad it's just that they were redundant they could go yeah and i think that that the one thing that i would say i preferred about the extended edition it could still go but i liked it is the beginning when you're in the shire uh it focuses more on bilbo instead of going right into mm-hmm. frodo and you set up bilbo as a little bit more of an actual character that you can connect with and i was like oh my god this is great that's how the book starts too but for the purposes of this movie, the story that's being told focuses on Frodo. Yeah. yeah. Bilbo can go. I did want to, I'm not going to keep uh, referring to you as a uh, bookman, Brett, but bookman, Brett, um, <laughs> is the way that the book's <laughs> written, is it, is it like almost entirely focused through the lens of Frodo and the way that the movie is, or is that like a directorial choice? I mean, it, it's been a while since I've read it. Um, if I remember correctly, I think it's more of a directorial choice. Like when I think okay. back on the book, it feels more of like a high, like a high level view of what's actually going on. You get a lot of each like character individually and what they're bringing to the table. Okay. But you, you that's still, what I, I guess. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into, I, I presented you guys with a question and, and we've been I talking had, about, I that. had one more thought yeah, on that ahead, original question. You were asking about like the visual aspects of the movie that really set up this world. Right. And there's two things that jump out to me when I think about that. One is there's a moment early on where they're running away. The hobbits are running away from the ring wraiths and they're, they're being chased in the forest by these ring wraiths. And I was just thinking like, these are grown men in fake feet with little robes on running through a forest in New Zealand and I am all the way in. Mm, I am right, completely a hundred percent sold. That I this movie is so 
impeccable that I had to like check myself a couple of times and, and like remind myself right. how incredible it is what I'm witnessing because these movies have been absorbed into the cultural conversation into into general pop culture that we just accept them as great as you know part of the great movies but there's certain moments where I was like hold on a second this is fucking good shit the fact that these <laughs> these little hobbits and little robes and little capes <laughs> are running through the woods and I'm invested in it and I care. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Well, I mean, it also like I was whenever I put this on, I was watching it with a girlfriend, the pod Gaia. And um, she was kind of like it. She did laugh at first. The first time that you see like Bilbo standing next to Gandalf in the house. But like that is just so cool that they just did that, that they built this miniature house that they and then the perspective a use tricks. Of, yeah, perspective and camera tricks and stuff like that to make it look so good. But in a lot of the key scene, like you notice it more in the beginning of the movie. And then as the movie goes along, you don't really notice it as much. Yeah, like no when way. it's Gandalf and Frodo just kind of sitting next to each other talking, it doesn't do look silly anymore. It's There's a lot of close up shots and things that get away from that and to what you were talking about Ernest you're the kind of guy with a directorial and a film background so when you're watching things you're constantly checking yourself to understand how this world is that's being shown to you was built yeah. from a film perspective so for this you have to force yourself to do that because you're so immersed yeah I, I'm completely immersed com completely and then the other thought that comes up is once the fellowship is actually assembled and they go into the mine that Gimli laughs at them, even calling it a mine because it's like the remnants of a once great dwarf civilization. Um, I just keep thinking like uh, this is the greatest Dungeons and Dragons type shit I've ever seen, like the greatest D&D &D campaign yeah. that ever was. And you get these wide shots of the fellowship running around this this underground dwarf, uh, I guess, uh, civilization shell of a of a city. And that is so, so impeccably communicated to have little uh dwarves and, and or dwarf and, and hobbits and Gandalf with his wizard hat leading the whole charge. Just that image, that wide shot of the whole fellowship all in a line. Right. I was just like, my God, this is amazing. Amazing shit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's some, some interesting points there. So what I wanted to mention, I kind of want to take another step back from the details a little bit. And... I wanted to understand why it's so like mainstream popular because, you know, not everybody can get into fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to put into film. Definitely. Right. So I think that just kind of looking at it, this isn't like Game of Thrones. Like we have these clear protagonists and antagonists that have really like unwavering motivations. And I think that allows for comfort when you're watching it. And it allows you to give yourself up to the narrative because you're not questioning these characters. Like you said, from a D&D &D perspective, you're able to put yourself in the shoes of these characters that are working towards this common goal that mm -hmm. come from different backgrounds. So to that point, though, I think that one of my favorite parts about this entire movie 
and it is unfortunate. I mean, we're in full spoilers now, so we'll just say it. Um, that Boromir dies because I think that Boromir true, is like true. the true like folly of man. Like that's kind of what he represents is kind of just this. He's desiring to do good, but he is so easily swayed towards power and towards he, control. Yeah, he becomes the physical representation of this idea that man is faltering. Mm. That's established really early on in the film. He kind of feels like this secondary main character that gets yeah. a full arc in the first. <laughs> it, he, really, I mean, he really rocks. I, it is. It's unfortunate that he dies because I do wonder what the rest of. I mean, I'm not going to like criticize the further movies because they're still excellent without Boromir in them. But I think that he is very important, at least in this movie, to show up because if you just have Aragorn as like this man is pure good and Sauron exactly. is this yeah he is serves pure evil. he serves as a middle ground of right. character yeah yeah that's a that's a smart call um, Sean I, Bean always dies yeah <laughs> he's, <I> w- <laughs> he's excellent in this he really is mm-hmm. um, he acts his little butt off and then he dies uh, I think speaking to why it's so accessible uh, it, a lot of it does go back to world building because. Uh, Peter Jackson does the simplest thing that a lot of fantasy movies really fail hard at, which is he takes time to show each location before anything happens at it. He does. It's not just an establishing shot. It You see the location for a couple minutes before the scene really starts. And maybe even like a little history, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They talk about it like they let you know where the fuck they are, what has happened there in the past. Uh, as the movie is going, they're like not the dumping elves, it on you pre the, or post. The elves that live in the trees, and it's like it's looking like some fern gully shit. That is I mean, that is so funny when Gimli he's like, I have like the eyes of a hawk and the ears of a fox, and then there's an arrow in his face. <laughs> like that guy was right in front of him the whole time. Yeah, so so it, it tells you so much about Gimli, but then just seeing the arrowhead tells you all you need to know about these wood elves yeah. that are in this forest. And even before that, there's a wide shot of the forest with the fellowship looking at the forest before they enter mm-hmm. it. So, you know, you 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 could look away and miss that, but it's still part of what you're talking about, about him taking the time to set yeah. up every little thing. Yeah, so they're doing a very effective job of giving us enough information, but also not too much to lose the casual viewer, uh, which is, I think, one of the hardest things you could possibly do in making a film. I think that the best example of that is when they go into the Mines of Moria. Of course, everybody just remembers the big action set pieces from that But before any of that happens, they go in there and Gimli realizes that like his cousin, who is the leader of all these people, is dead. And you have this kind of emotional connection to everything. And then Mary kind of Mary's the biggest loser of the first movie. (laughs) He fucked that Mary with the troll. Well, yeah, because he made he knocked down the thing and he woke up. He alerted all the trolls yeah. and the goblins that they he were there. One, one, I, I did want to address that because that's kind of this this weird little point of the story that's a little too goofy. But I do think because I don't know if it was Mary or Pippin who was like throwing rocks that caused like the octopus to attack them and trap them in the mines. I'm not so sure that that octopus would not have come if he didn't throw the rocks. I don't think so because you get the shot from the octopus's perspective even before it, exactly. exactly. The rocks. To me, that whole thing is just part of my D&D take of like, there's always an obstacle. Mm. Any action is going to yeah. have an, an opposite reaction. So every location get, has an obstacle. Well, exactly. They get to this gate 
and it's like there's the obstacle of opening the gate. You have to figure out the riddle and the elvish word for friend. And then you get to that, you beat that obstacle, but then boom, there's this like cracking opti- octopus thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and before, but I think that the reason why uh, I still like Mary doing Mary and Pip doing some uh, some kind of stupid things like that doesn't seem forced or out of place of their characters is because at the very beginning of the movie at Bilbo's 111th birthday, they sneak into Gandalf's bags and they like light off one of his fireworks. So you're like, okay, these guys are tricksters. These guys are pranksters. I didn't need somebody to like like expose like dump on me that yeah. these guys are like they're, troublemakers they're dumb motherfuckers <laughs> like I, I saw that they almost burned down the entire village that, that'll be a big topic when we go over two towers is mary and pippin's role with in the, the ends mm-hmm. mm. yeah. yeah so i wanted to go a little bit more in order from the beginning and hit like all the big beats but did you brett did you have anything else yeah i wanted any to, other big things there was just a couple of those generalizations i wanted to address one more was the the use of magic in the story and of course, Gandalf is this big pillar in the story. And I think that magic here doesn't really have this defined set of rules that you feel like you need to know. Um, but it's still a very present part of the world. Right. It's not like Game of Thrones where it's like, oh, magic is this thing that's been gone for a while. And right. its remnants are still kind of around. Yeah, it's more like defined by the characters and the objects themselves, you know, especially with the ring. So in the same way that Gandalf can summon bursts of energy that we see in this movie, an elf can see for miles away and a dwarf can sustain, can sustain like a lot of pressure and heat. Mm. Magic kind of exists in different ways for different characters. So again, with the D&D, it lets you immerse yourself in each character. You have skills. And you can decide, you can, you can root for each character. It's kind of fun. You know, it's like sports. Okay. To that point, there's a moment. It's you can see it more clearly in the extended edition, but it's still you can still see it in the theatrical. But when they're on the snowy mountain right before they go into the the dwarf mine, Legolas is walking on top of the snow as everybody's trudging wow. through the snow. That's, That's such a, really I cool. did not notice that. What a great detail. He's just like very lightly prancing on top of it. And I was like, this motherfucker is mm-hmm. unfazed <laughs> by Saruman, like casting these yeah. like snowfall That's spells. Also avalanche to, your, shit. to the point about the magic. I like that you see magic of all scales. You see like, uh, not just Gandalf and Saruman having uh, kind of a silly little uh, magic oh, fight the, with the each other. Oh, they just that is the greatest <laughs> shit. Ian McKellen just gets rolled in a circle for like a minute straight. Badass. I have problems with that. I, I still think it's like very unintentional humor. I still love that scene uh, regardless. But like I even you have Gandalf just like using his light, which he can control the amount of light. And you also have Saruman from like hundreds of miles away just like yelling out elvish to the skies and it's casting really, it's this really epic. fucking cool it looks amazing it looks the so cool swooping it up to the top so of the tower cool. oh god damn it you makes know, me christopher s- lee is um, so R. goddamn R. good it makes me sad that the hobbit movies just were not as good because you see moments like that of <sighs> peter jackson being like fully in command of the power that he holds as the the ring yeah yeah 
He let it get to him. We dude. can do a whole like I I have a whole bunch of issues with the Hobbit movies no, and why those fail. We don't. But gotta, we don't. We, we can just skip we, over we that. We can get into the Denny's menu mm-hmm. that is Hobbit themed. Go. Do you still have the <laughs> did tab? I, did I keep up? that tab open? Did I deem it important enough to keep open? Because no. I did. <laughs> I did eat off of that menu, and there was Hobbit toast and sausage. So they didn't have plates. You had to actually eat off the fucking menu at Denny's. <laughs> you. They gave you some like prosthetic hairy ass callus to hell feet <laughs> that you just had to like use those to like cook a sausage over a fire yourself there is a close-up oh actually this might only be in the extended edition um there is a close-up of like a meal that sam is preparing for Frodo. no that is 1000 percent in <laughs> no, the extended that's it. It's, it looks it's like eggs with like tomatoes and potatoes and sausage yeah. oh it's right before there's a moment in the extended edition where like a bunch of elves are just walking through the woods and they're and Sam and Frodo are like preparing this meal and they just look over and see these elves walking through the woods. And Sam is like, oh, yes, these elves are moving away from Middle Earth and and leaving the physical world. I remember that in the extended. Yeah. Mm. And it's it has nothing to do with the story, but it's just like, let's just look at these elves as they get ready to leave Middle Earth. Because that's that's what books do. You know, it's just it, it books are more navel gaze. You have yeah. time to chill. So there was one thing that I like, I didn't even really notice it until I did a little bit of research before rewatching it this time about some of the stuff that Pierre Jackson does with his camera work. And one of the things they really talk about because they Um, this article, there was an article or a YouTube piece. I can't remember exactly, but they go really in on how Legolas is like perfectly written for the story. So like, for example, the way that he, that Peter Jackson directs Orlando Bloom when Gandalf dies, Orlando Bloom is acting his ass off because he is an immortal being who doesn't understand the concept that like his friend, this person who he is very close with has died. And like, Death is not something that he has ever had to grapple with before. And Orlando Bloom, I mean, credit to him, like he acts the hell with his face. Where'd, like, you, where'd you go, Orlando? You beautiful man. There's there's a moment right after that, because right after Gandalf dies, they go to like Galadriel's keep in the forest mm-hmm. and there's music in the background and somebody's like, what is that? And Legolas is like, this is like a, a song for Gandalf. You know, there's a song in Elvish happening and, and they're like, what is he saying? What are they saying? And Legolas is like, I'm too grief stricken to even like oh, explain it, to it even to put it into words. Yeah. yeah. It's really amazing. Um, This is completely unrelated, but I had to say, I this is a serious thing. I genuinely think that this first Lord of the Rings movie birthed the most memes of any movie ever. In terms of like you see a frame and you're like, oh, one does not simply. Oh, uh, fly you fools. Oh, like it goes and goes and goes. They're probably like, oh, my God, that's a great point. Yeah. Genuinely, because that. it's it's, it's, it's a lot of early it. Internet memes. It's, and it's so ingrained in our brains mm-hmm. at this point. They're, they're impossible to ignore. Like you get a, the close up of Gandalf, like nodding. That's a very like classic gif. Of course, like Boromir saying that I, I can't ignore the memes. It pulls so, me out of the story. Well, th- <laughs> there's there's a couple that I want to be memes. And they're mostly in Rivendell. There's one that that <laughs> I just posted on Twitter this week, which is Frodo celebrating with Pippin and Mary and Sam. And they're just like yeah. overly joyous. You, you tweeted that, right? Yeah. I just I want, started tweeting. Yeah. So and you said, I saw oh, your tweet. Yeah. And there's you this also, new thing called Twitter.com. So I had you, to, you posted that video with the caption when Senator Joe Kennedy wins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Read the room. Yeah. I had, I had pre-scheduled that one. I forgot to unschedule it. 
<laughs> you had it on Tweetbot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, egg on your face. And, <laughs> and there's a there's another one where like it's right when Frodo says, "I will take the ring to Mordor," and there's just this extreme close up on Gandalf's face, like turning towards Frodo and just like the saddest possible smile you could ever that's, see. Yeah. That's like amazing acting right there. So I know exactly good. what you're talking about. It is. Yeah. He just like closes his eyes and it's like almost in slow motion. Because he know he knows that it has to happen. Well and he's also, like, he yes, couldn't this ask is the solution. It. Yeah. Yeah. It has to come from him. And also of- use of the camera like to like express language they are like pretty much looking down at the ground from that angle. Like Frodo is not like a foot tall, but it makes it look like you are so small in this Mm. moment, but you are taking on the task of doing this impossible mission. And speaking of which, if we're going beat by beat, then we can start in the Shire basically, right? Well, the prologue first. Well, yeah, which is just a not so dump of exposition, which is effective. It tells you what you need to know. Uh, you don't have to fully hear every single thing they say. Like you won't, you will still be able to follow the film even if you didn't get all of it. It's uh, it's Kate Blanchett's beautiful voice, yep. just guiding you through like the heavy, heavy lore that sets up the story. And you need to know everything. You need to know Sauron. You need to know the Ring. You need to know the uh, Aragorn's ancestor who defeated Sauron. Isildur. Isildur. Yeah. And you need to know that Elrond is there Was too. there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, it needs to be all of that. And I remember watching the the behind the scenes on the extended edition that uh, Peter Jackson's writing partner, um, her name is Fran Walsh. She was given the challenge of writing this prologue based on her. She's like an uber fan of the books. And they were like, you need to fit this in four pages. That's no a nightmare more. assignment. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> and so she much, was, that's so much work. And she was happy to do it. She was happy to do it because that is one of the key reasons why this movie was a financial success. Because right away from frame one, you're bringing people in along the way with you. Mm-hmm. You're inviting as many people into this world as you possibly can and making it as seamless as possible to just get invested in this world and this story and uh credit to tolkien where it you know it does a good job of quickly establishing the uh christianity you know parallels slash just general monomyth parallels where we have a generalized evil uh that corrupts people from the inside out uh and then you know eventually we go on to meet our hero which is we're in the shire gorgeous just perfect visually uh, in terms of like how good visual effects are in the film, it's a story of interiors versus exteriors. I think um, the interiors are fucking gorgeous in this movie, uh, particularly the Shire. It's just like on another yeah. level. It's so, but like it's almost we were, like Tim Burton-y. Like yeah, it's so, yeah. so beautiful. But like we were just saying, they built the exteriors too yeah. for this set. And it's crazy because there's so much detail in this movie. I'm telling you guys, like if you have the time to carve out to watch some of this behind the scenes shit, you can see the amount of work that they put into shit that you see for like half a second. Yeah, well, because these are the real exteriors in the movie, which which don't uh, adhere to the rule I was talking about, because these are genuine. Uh, so the colorization of them is beautiful. They don't have to use soft lenses to blend foreground and background. So it's you're getting there. you're getting just crystal clear, uh, beautiful New Zealand air. 
I I also we have to at this time just talk about Howard Shore and that score. He might be the fucking MVP of this whole I, thing. My fucking god, is the score so good? You brought up Silence of the Lambs. Also did the score for Silence of the Lambs. I this is just like the best. I mean, it's like it's right up there with just kind of the best film scores of all time. Yeah, I've just been, some of the original known, pieces they's made. I've been known to just listen to it all the time. I so listen I, to I, it on the way over here to this podcast. I, I have a whole section in my notes about the music. Have you guys seen this video by the Nerdist that talks about the music in this movie? Nerd writer? Sorry, excuse me. Nerd writer. Nerd writer. Are you Nerd talking writer about one. Chris Hardwick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually have never seen one of his videos. <laughs> have you? Um, yeah, no, you're right. Nerd writer. So he Welcome talks to about Ad midnight. <laughs> Jerry, I know you're a big talking dead guy. Hey, points. You know what I mean? Uh, no. Yeah. Anyways. He, so he talks about um, Howard Shore's use of light motifs, which is assigning musical themes to characters and objects. So he kind of gives an, a couple examples of how that's weaved into the story. And it is unbelievable. So you have themes uh, in the movie, like for the ring, for the fellowship, for the Shire. So for this fellowship theme, there are certain instruments associated with specific characters in the fellowship. So when the fellowship is fragmented, you're only getting like maybe French horn is like for Sam Gam, uh, for, for, uh, Samuel. I'm Um, getting chills right now. Just thinking. Yeah. yeah. So when, when it, it's really apparent at the very beginning during that prologue, because it starts with like the, I think the Shire theme, like really quickly. And then when you get the title card, it goes into the ring theme which is the main thing that mm-hmm. you've been singing mm-hmm. that's like really striking on the ears. It has that metallic sound to it. That's the ring theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very minor key. Well, and isn't, I think that I remember, because it's been a long time since I've seen that video, but isn't the only time that the full orchestra plays uh, the fellowship theme is whenever there's that one shot of them walking on the mountains, it's all nine of them together. Yeah. You and otherwise, snowy. it's, it's yep. always, you're just, it's either missing like a one or two or mm. so you get, five pieces. You get, Right where you're talking about, right when the fellowship is formed, you get the full fellowship theme. And then right at the end, you get a tiny bit of the Shire theme as it like zooms in on the hobbits and them realizing that they're leaving behind. Yeah. So listeners, just so we're clear, the 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 fellowship theme is the bum bum. He just wanted to say yeah. Bought a mic, bought a mic. There we okay. We bought a mic. Yeah, keep going. Just keep that's going. that's, that's it's written it. by like Howard. Four more minutes. It's just Howard Short. <laughs> so he wrote the lyrics. One uh, best score at the Oscars. Yeah, we don't we don't need to like you know kind of hang on. The Sing every song. Long, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Brett, come on. So Bust out any, some of the deeper cuts. Any other thoughts on the whole Shire? Because there's a lot going on there with like them finding the well, ring. It's, and, uh, another visual note is one one effect that holds up very well is the force perspective shots that make Gandalf look so goddamn big it's yeah seamless. Um, th- those are really really well done because they a don't uh utilize much uh shooting you know stitching together shots uh and b they don't put him on stilts thus making his body just like a tall regular sized body he is generally larger yeah than the hobbits guy plays me, very well guy asked me like is ian mckellen on stilts in these scenes i was well, like they, they no do, it's there's, he has a he has a stand-in that's like eight feet tall 
Yeah, they use that. And then they also use there are shots and mostly interior shots where they are making it. So the set itself and the props are moving with the camera because these are dynamic shots. Did you see that in the um, did you? I haven't gotten to that. That is absolutely ape shit. No, that is that is the most mind blowing. Yeah, because there are substitute ways that you could accomplish that using effects, but it would not look that good. Like this looks incredible. What I did see, though, is before they ever started shooting any thing they built like a preliminary set and shot a bunch of like mock setups this was this was part of that what you're just talking about to, in order yeah. to be able to figure out everything and it was all figured out like every frame was essentially like predetermined before they ever shot the real thing yeah it's it's incredible like for all you know for all the jerking people do to chris nolan like the inception uh spinning hallway scene this is that level of literally physically manipulating the set during the shot just to make it so this man bigger than this it's like the analog version of what favreau did on mandalorian where Mm -hmm. they built that l that that screen that shifts with the camera this is just like the physical, yeah, the physical body version of, of that. So one thing I wanted to talk about the Shire is that I love how like fun the first like 30, 40 minutes mm-hmm. of this movie are. It has like, to be. I just, well, that's like, another way that we get the popular uh, effect. Like, yeah, we get, I just we like, get I just like, I want to see, I want to see just like a nice sitcom set yeah. in the Shire. McKellen gets a lot of credit for this too, for drawing in the audience because he has just this immeasurable warmth on camera. He, mm-hmm. um, the character itself has, you know, since before from like the Hobbit, Gandalf just loves Hobbits. So when he gets there. He loves there, that Hobbit weed, too. He does. That puff, yeah. puff pass. Right. <laughs> Saruman even has a, he digs him a little bit. He's like, yo, you've been smoking a bro, little you're bit too much of that fried. herb, bro. <laughs> so, yeah, we, so we start off in the Shire and then we quickly move on. Um, we start to see the psychological impact that this ring has. This is no MacGuffin. This, this ring has a ton of power. And we, we quickly understand that this is something that needs to be destroyed. So we, we get that set up while we're still in the Shire. And then we they start throw to get it in the in the furnace or the fireplace. Yeah. To show that. Yeah. We 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 set up the Elvis. He's like, I couldn't even speak this to you in the tongue of Mordor. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't dare speak it. Right. But then we start to have these tonal shifts that happen very quickly, but don't feel forced unless mm-hmm. you really think about it. No, you're right. You Like you have like right as Sam and uh, Frodo, um, they start their journey. It gets a little tense. And then Mary and Pippin join in. And then you have the Nazgul's, the ring wraith start chasing them. And then suddenly it's a little more lighthearted again. It really goes back and forth. You're so invested in what's going on because you're not getting bored from a tonal standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, very we're early on, because this is a three hour movie and you are introduced to that peril like what, 40 minutes in or something like that. I think. Uh, I'm scrubbing through the movie on HBO Max right now, and it looks like the Saruman Gandalf fight is 40 minutes into the movie. So pretty early on, you're like you're in some action shit like, you know, that this is not just a people talking type of movie like this is going to be an intense fantasy action type of movie. I we brought the ring race a few times, and I think that they are like. It, they are visually stunning. They get the honestly Uh-oh. visually stunning stamp of approval. But I'm glad that they are not. I, I like I think that the ring wraiths are used just enough in this story, because otherwise it's just like it. 
I mean, it is luckily they do have kind of source material fall back on. Um, it's the only kind of like heavy handed um, use of symbolism in the entire franchise. Is like uh, the 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 four horse, the horsemen of the apocalypse that they're coming. And it, well, I mean, it's all heavy handed if you're a Bible person. No, but uh, no. I, well, <laughs> yeah, you Bible. Yeah, person. You know me. Bible. I'm Bible man. Bible hunter. Um, <laughs> that's what that's what they call me back at Bible camp. Um, where I live. You Bible. Um, you live at Bible camp. <laughs> I live there. They won't. They don't know. Leave. <laughs> they don't know. I actually there. I I only uh, have the Bible of Scientology because Tom Cruise is my Lord and Savior. Mm. Anyways, um, the ringwraiths are like really cool, but I like that the ringwraiths it's set up very clearly that the ringwraiths are just kind of like they're just soldiers. They are not they might be like very spooky they, looking. I think the word the word they, they use is uh slaves. Yes. You know, they became slaves to this power that they're, overcame Yeah, they're them. surrogates right. to it's, Satan. Right. It's so genius to me that they have that tiny little line to link them to the prologue of the nine rings for the nine men. Mm that they were the ones who became the ring rates. My, my brain just exploded. I was like, yes. Well, that's, that's <laughs> why I think amazing. that's kind of why I think Boromir is such an important piece to have in this first movie, because Boromir is kind of that line between the pure good and the man that has fallen into yeah, darkness. That's, that's, that's a really good point that Boromir is the kind of guy that would become a ring wraith if he got the ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. then later in the movie, when you have Elrond talk about how he saw I forget Isildur. the guy's Yeah, Isildur, how he saw uh, Isildur not want to give up the ring to Mordor. That links directly to the folly of man. There's, yeah, there's, I, I wanted to mention too that um, we're not putting ourselves in the shoes of men in this story. Um, they talk about the folly of man and how weak they are at this point in the story. We're being put in the shoes of the hobbits more yeah. than anything. And they represent some different things like purity. They're, they're very pure. They're lazy. They're overly satisfied. Mm. So you feel like you're being Intent. pulled out of your own comfort zone. Because yeah. you feel like you want to be living in the Shire when they, show, yeah. when they show the Shire. Yeah. Well, there's another big thing that is very subtly in the movie, but it's there. And I only caught this because of the special feature shit where they take this big chunk before they ever start talking about the movie to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien and what he was even trying to do when he wrote the books, he was a big kind of naturalist type of guy. He was a little terrified of industrialism, yeah. industrialization. And so there's this through line in this story of nature versus Oh, urban yeah. urbanization like tearing down trees yeah mm -hmm. yes. yeah that's yeah. a that's a whole thing exactly. he was he was unbelievably ahead of his time yeah. so you have this guy who's telling this incredibly like way out there fantasy story and there's this tiny little thread tying it back to our world mm -hmm. and it's in the form of these hobbits that live as a part of nature yes and they, they are in, the they purest of in heart. the hills, literally. Yeah. And and they are the most connected to nature of any of the other races. I mean, I guess maybe the elves, but the elves are so like kind of on their own space. Like they don't po even political. Yeah. They're, well, the elves are kind of elitist. They're libertarians. Exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are librarians. Thank you, Jerome. <laughs> yes. There are, you're, you know, the leader of the elves, Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, and that's the other reason that this holds up as a Christian parable 
like to completely a religious people is that it focuses on the aspects of Christianity that have aged the best um, because the sins that are depicted as, you know, the most ghastly in this are just uh, greed. Jesus's abs. <laughs> yeah. And that too. No, but yeah, it, it, it's focuses on the pursuit of power and wealth uh, instead of focusing on every other sin in the Bible, essentially, which is not as, as uh, well-aged Yeah, because, like- and it's because Tolkien knew his shit back then. He was, what's was seen back then as a very progressive Christian. Yeah, you could like kind of like the seven deadly sins. The hobbits don't really have that. Like mm-hmm. I was saying, they're satisfied with what they already have. They mm-hmm. all they have is ale. That's all they care about. <laughs> they, just, they have cabbage fields they and pot. ale. I wish that I yeah. was. Yeah, I wish I was just like the size of a hobbit, and I just see like a pint of beer for the first time, and just yeah. like <laughs> blowing my goddamn mind. This is to me what I imagine it's like to live in a small town in England, like like yes. like Gloucester or some shit. Like you just. You walk outside, everyone you know is right there <laughs> and, and uh, they're all having a party because it's one person's birthday. So that that takes us to the next big beat of the movie, which is when they get to that little grimy town with the painted pony the tavern. Pony. Uh, paint, painted, printed, prancing pony, prancing pony. Right? Yeah. OK, um, Not the so. Pain. So wait, right before that, there's a beat when they're running away from the uh ring rates and they jump into that boat and i just kept thinking like this is such a good way to show us how fast these little hobbits can run <laughs> they're outrunning a horse <laughs> yeah it's close i mean that's that's the first time where mary and forgive me because i it's really hard for me to distinguish between mary and pippin and what they're doing um but uh, the one from lost yeah so they one of them establishes like he knows the way to get out if he wasn't there they would have died right there in the story mm-hmm. he yeah. says this there's a boat over Follow here me. that we need to take yeah so then they get to the prancing pony and this is really where like the D&D feels start ramping up because you're already in this tavern. It's grimy. It's smoky. It's spooky. And there's Aragorn in the corner looking sketchy as fuck. I, so I was going to bring this up whenever you got to it. You brought up D&D earlier and I was going to say as somebody who has a dungeon master in training, let me tell you that there is shit that is just like this where it's like you walk into a bar and it's like, ah, you could go grab a nail. You could ask around. You could say, who's that mysterious character in the corner? You, you, like all kinds of shit like that. You, you could blow straight up. Like you, you could go to the barkeep and blow your friend's cover <laughs> and cause a brawl. The, that's what happens if you like fail a uh, yeah, he, he fail a miss. person persuasion role and then yeah, just <laughs> you're low intelligence character you're like oh yeah that's my homie uh frodo he's yeah. frodo, frodo baggins frodo baggins from the shire son of bilbo <laughs> no no one's even asking him yeah <laughs> he's just telling people so that moment has one of the best shots in the whole movie which is the slow-mo frodo falling and then and the catching ring the ring on his, his finger. finger on his fingy cinema because what's what's really important about that is because he has no intention of uh putting on the ring willingly Mm -hmm. um and that kind of tells you the ring has a mind of its own yeah Yeah. i think that's that's the first time that's proved yeah yeah because someone says it uh pretty pretty upfront they say the ring wants to be found or whatever and if you pay attention there's a moment right before that where he's like turning it around in his hands under the table Yes. And you can hear the ring like, oh, talking. yeah, more good sound design shit. The, so the people, way the ring whispers. People are it, it has this energy that like emanates from it. Um, there's a lot of distance closing. We're in a very big world. You get those shots like um, 
it was mentioned from like Saruman casting a spell and, you, and the camera goes all the way to the mountain when he puts the ring on and you get the shots going all the way to the eye of Sauron mm. and showing that this power is able to manifest no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, take me. I'm ready. <laughs> Another visual note. Um, the I don't know if there's a name for it, but the zone he's in when he has the ring on um, 2001, baby, that shit looks great. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Mm. Um, the hazy, it's effective. There, there's a lot of uh, true scary uh, visuals in this movie. Like there, there are like horror adjacent moments. Yeah, I mean, more than I would have. That's what that's what Hunter was getting at. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier about Peter Jackson. As much as now he wants to like, he kind of wants people to forget that he got his start uh, making Mm. horror movies. It definitely comes through clear. Yeah, a lot of the visuals, but also with Sauron and the Ring's voices. Like it's very, very creepy and unsettling. The the quick cuts to Sauron or like someone's eyes, like very. It's it's like straight like Hitchcock textbook stuff. Shout out to uh. Sala Baker, who plays the voice of Sauron, he's a stunt guy. Wow. He's not like wow. really an actor. Does Quality he play voice. Sauron in the prologue, maybe? Yeah. When he, Sauron's actually like physical. Wow. He's the voice of Sauron. And then Alan Howard is the voice of the ring itself. Oh, also, um, uh, yet another visual note the look of Sauron itself is one of probably the best visuals I've ever seen. Like it's, it's, really really looks uh like i wouldn't change a thing about it to this day it's just it's yep. it's nice like in the out. prologue or the eye the eye oh the eye yeah the there's so much about this movie that is that point of like they just nailed the perfect depiction i dude i wrote down there's so many things i wrote down it, it reminds me somewhat of gdt and pan's labyrinth where he so many scenes he nailed like the platonic ideal of the object that he's shooting specifically with the ring of course that ring looks like the ringiest ring that you've yeah. ever seen in your life and it like, was he built just, specifically for the movie yeah he just he pinned down the look so perfectly did you notice how the the first time that frodo holds the ring out of the fire when the text glows it shines on his face mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. clearly yeah Dude. i mean everything that you see in this movie was created for this movie you know a lot of times in a fantasy film you'll have certain props or things like overlap depending on the budget. It's very reminiscent of, of Penn's Labyrinth style uh, shooting where it could not look more like what you platonically imagine when you're reading fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like it, the only things that got in the way of that in all of these films are technological restrictions, Yeah, which there simply is no way to accomplish a perfect looking massive exterior with crazy background with superimposed characters walking through it. People still have insane amounts of trouble doing that to this yeah. day. Well, I mean, and that's why. So the next spot that we get to is my they, dream place to settle down. Uh, I'm looking there now, but it's just too pricey to move there. And that's Rivendell. Well, before then, though, we have the big ring wraith face off. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Up on the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. So that is part of like that horror sort of look where you see what the ring rates look like. They're not quite dead. They're not quite alive. And they're like these ghostly figures. And then Aragorn like comes in hot and actually is able to fend them off. One of them gets he's thrown on fire. He's an absolute beast. I mean, you're set up uh, to see Aragorn as this king figure, like right from the get go. Vigo doesn't have that many lines in this movie, which I think is why he doesn't really shine until the other films but boy does he fight off those 
fucking ring rates like a monster. It's great. And even right before that, we get the moment of Gandalf like looking absolutely uh, helpless on top of the tower. And then he jumps off into the ER. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. With the moth flies like right up next to him. He just like grabs it out of the air with one hand. So good. So good. Yeah. And and then, you know, in that ring wraith uh, face off, Frodo gets fucked. And it's crazy because it's like, you know, I watched this movie twice this week and I was like, oh, yeah, it's not the first time this happens in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he gets he gets fucked a couple times. So he's like about to die. And they're like, oh, shit, we got to save this guy. We got to fucking save this dude. And then that's when Liv Tyler shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get you get Arwen come really strong female character. You get these like really like early 2000s, like crossfades between a close up of her and a close up of Frodo. Mm. And there's like Elvish in the background. And it's just like what what are we doing right now so this i mean i'm all the way in but we're just in frodo's perspective <laughs> yeah. in that moment yeah no, no no that's what i was gonna say is a lot of times like when that's kind of the thing that's aged really poorly from a lot of movies of this time and from like the 90s and stuff is that use of crossfading and in so many movies it's just so unnecessary it's like when you're in it's like whenever you're like in high school and somebody gets a little bit too excited with the transitions on powerpoint and it's like all right yes. we didn't need like a sweet dissolve there like that was unnecessary that's what it kind of strikes me of in some movies but it's not used all that much in this movie it's only really used whenever it is shown from the perspective of a character who is completely disoriented and then she takes Frodo to Rivendale and, you know, he's unconscious. So we're with her and she wrecks the ring rates with that river spell mm -hmm. that she does. Owns them pretty hard. And is that the last time we see the ring rates in the rest of the whole story? I might not be remembering other parts of the other movies, no, but I think that's they, it. I believe they end up writing the... Um those big flying things. I can't remember the name of them. Yeah, the story. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, forgive me, but yeah, they they they're later. In, they're in those battles. The Nazgul. Oh, yeah. I'll go ahead and say that I don't think Liv Tyler is really good, particularly good at anything. I um, totally agree. <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want to say it. No, she's not a good actress. I mean, she, I think she's great in the Leftovers. Um, yeah, but I think they use her well in that. Yeah, I think for, it's. It reminds me a lot of January Jones from Mad Men where it's really just her look is doing 90% of the job. Like she isn't doing much of anything, to be honest. I think that she does. I think that she is used properly in these movies because usually I'm not the biggest Liv Tyler fan. Um, but I think that there isn't a ton of her in these movies. And maybe that is like if you were going to pick nits with the franchise, you might want a little bit more from Arwen and Peter Jackson might have realized like, oh, maybe she can't do as much heavy lifting <laughs> as I might have wanted them to. I don't know. Arwen's written in the books if she's written more of a female empowering character than she is in the movies, mm -hmm. but she does enough to show that she is kind of a badass, saves Frodo. And she's only in like f four scenes of this movie. Yeah. She bounces. Yeah. She has, you know, some horny stuff going on with Aragorn. Oh yeah, they definitely I think that, bone. I mean, I think that they do have some chemistry, Vigo and Liv Tyler. Yeah. Hey, uh, I mean, it, I, I would have some chemistry with Vigo if you yeah, asked me. I was going to say this Especially thing. long hair. <laughs> I would have the chemistry with Vigo and Captain Fantastic when he's like a homeless guy in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this, long hair, sexy, sweaty what, Vigo. What about Green Book? Mm. Speak on that. 
You know what? I don't think I'd have chemistry with that character. Yo, I like the pizza. I, I don't I don't slice my pizza. I just eat it whole. I fold it in half. It's better when it's a big pizza and I can just eat the whole pizza. I saw terrorists celebrating when they ran the planes into nine. Yo, you like an 11. elf and I like that elf pizza. <laughs> So next up, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we uh, so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So she saves Frodo. <laughs> looks like Buddy's gonna die, mm-hmm. and then we fade to Rivendale, and I'm holding up the shot that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really bad one. We get a crossfade of Elrond with a like dead that. Frodo. <laughs> that's ugly, and he's speaking Elvish. And uh, we think, are we in some sort of music video right now? Is this like an Elvish yeah. uh, prog rock band? But, What's going on? But again, it's just it's just them quickly like showing that he's in and out of consciousness. It's whatever, just that whatever. Hugo Weaving is staring directly into the camera. Yeah, it, but it's Frodo's eyes. Oh. I. I mean, I kind of like I kind of like that scene. No, it's, it's, bad. Yeah, it's, it's great. Like I mean, bad, but I do like it. I think that. we should. So I, next up, we have the forming of the fellowship. Yes. Yeah. In Elrond's council. I just can we talk just a second more about Rivendell. Rivendell is the most beautiful location I've ever seen in a movie. Like that of just a place that like. Can I just like find a spot on Zillow and move to this place tomorrow? Yeah, that, Rivendell is like at the mm, top of the. I would. They I would build. Live. They built a lot of it for yeah, real. It was all miniatures. So fucking cool. If you there's little details that make it. You know they overlay falling leaves. There's like people in the background to make it look like it's alive, and it totally works. I would move to Marwin. Welcome to. <laughs> Welcome to I, Arwen. Are we thinking that's something? I, you you that's thought about that one for a second. Well, I was thinking about Arwen. Welcome to Arwen a lot, but there's just no way to shove that in there. So I would move to. Oh, you could shove it in there. Yeah. I I love how there's like a section of this Rivendell's uh, spot where it's like you think the movie's over. You're like, oh wow, they did it. They got the ring to the elves. <laughs> it's all over now. And that's, everybody's celebrating. That's so deliberate. It's like, wow, like, we did it, guys. Bilbo's there. <laughs> He's like, oh, and my God. And you check the time and you're like, wait, we're at the hour and a half mark of this three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. And then Bilbo has, like, that freak-out moment where his face goes into a demon Yeah, I mean, face. Gandalf, we, we get to that point, And up to that point, Gandalf kind of pulled it off. You know, this this was his goal. Um, right off the bat, you know, he was able to escape. He's like, let's get the fucking ring here and figure out what we need to do. And we have this, I mean, su- such a memorable scene of the forming of the actual fellowship. Mm-hmm. And we start to see the different species that we have in this world and how they feel about each other. We see, this is where we establish that like Gimli, the, the dwarves hate the elves yeah. and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, there's that. He's just like, I'll be damned if the elves ever control this ring and shit. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay, there's like inner politics to this world that we have not seen like how how good is it that we have so we have all of these characters sitting some side characters all sitting around in a circle and right in the middle on the on a tree stump we have the ring they're like we need to figure out how to destroy this instead of talking about what the dwarves are like Gimli says fuck this I'm gonna kill this ring with my goddamn axe I've killed hundreds of baddies before and his axe shatters on the ring and, and, you know, tying back to the prologue, it's so genius that you already have the knowledge that, like, this ring has been missing for thousands of years, like 2,000, almost 3,000 years. Mm. It's just been gone. It's been in a river and then with Smeagol for 500 years. So 
up until this point of when, the, when they're finally like looking at the real thing, it's been relegated to this like grander mythology. It's been sort of lost. Right. Right. And, and then it's now it's back. Now it's so, right here in front of them. So Gimli hitting it with his axe also shows that to the characters visually that this is no this is not a myth. Yeah. This is fucking real right now. Yeah. And then that whole scene plays out really well. There's another extended bit in the extended edition of 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 uh, Sean Bean of Boromir kind of being drawn to the ring and mm-hmm. kind of being like taken over like possessed for a little bit yeah, it's a full possession and 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 they keep a little bit in that theatrical they keep enough you like you the part that you need of him actually giving that speech yeah i think they handle that perfectly in the theatrical we didn't need any more of that yeah exactly where he basically like speaks you can oh, like let's use this power. yeah you can you can tell he's horny yeah well because if you have another possession scene in addition to the one that we have later on in the movie, then it's it yeah. becomes a little bit hat on. And hat. we and we had already seen Bilbo literally like like that is a straight jump that's, scare of him being is, de- a great. demon it's for funny. a half this is, second. This movie works so well for general audiences and, and kids for that matter because of the way Boromir is presented. Um, you can tell that not everything is quite right here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you understand his motivation. His people are dying. He sees this point of power. But you, you know, you know, something's not right. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen with this guy. Mm-hmm. And we get it all in the in the one movie, which is really satisfying. In the in the one scene, essentially, like it's all set up. Obviously, there's the big Boromir moment at the end. Right. But like in this moment, you see like the pull of the ring, the power of it. And then Frodo says the big moment. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll do it. One more thing about Boromir so that it does still there is like a little bit of establishing in like probably a 45 second minute long scene before that when Aragorn goes and sees the shattered sword and he kind of Boromir puts the pieces together and realizes he's the king. He's just like, well, we don't have kings anymore. Like you can tell that he is a very proud person already before all this happens. So then they're ready to leave uh, Rivendell. And Frodo is like, I don't know where to go. Which way to Mordor? Is it left? Is it right? <laughs> where do I go? And then Gandalf is like, that <laughs> way, buddy. Um, so then they're off. And then we get these big, grand, beautiful shots of them journeying. The fellowship is together. There's that moment on top of the mountain where, like, there's a little bit of a confrontation with Boromir. And that sort of setup gets kind of augmented. Uh, and you know, Aragorn is the one to sort of stand up for Frodo. Um, And then after that, we get to the mountain and the storm and they decide like, okay, do we turn back or do we try to go through this mountain? And they leave it up to Frodo. He's the ring bearer. He gets to decide. Yep. We, we have, we have Gandalf who's seen some shit. We know how experienced he is. And it gets to the point where he says, you know what? This isn't my decision to make anymore. You know, let's leave it to to this ring bearer. He knows what hobbits are capable of. And I, I don't know if it was the right choice, you know, at, at the end. Maybe it was. Maybe. Do you think Gandalf should have told them, like, yo, there's some demons down here? Like, no. you dwarves dug too deep and there's no. some shit beyond just <laughs> fucking G- goblins Gandalf, down there? Gandalf wouldn't be the same character if he just preached about all the shit he's seen. The, the mystery is what's so important about Gandalf, I think. He smoked yeah. a lot of Hobbit weed. So he, so he didn't even know if he saw yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't do you think, remember. Was Bilbo his plug or has Bilbo got, got that 
Got that good shit? I, or, uh... Somebody's got to be. I mean, maybe it's Sam. Who knows? Sam seems like the goody good. That's why he, he came back to the Shire, really? Yeah, yeah. he could still be serving. Um, so this whole next chunk is like the big, like sort of money section of the movie. Once they're in there, the troll, the, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of it. The, like the Balrog, the Balrog. The Balrog. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is the climax of the movie for me emotionally yeah. and mm-hmm. thematically tonally. It's, it's all great. It's all like so well done. So well paced. It, there's peril, there's action, there's intensity, and there's Gandalf falling I, to his demise. I mean, this is like, it's one of the most iconic movie moments ever. Fly, and fly, so I, I think, yeah, I think that before they even go in the mines, right when he asks Frodo where he wants to go, he already knows he's about to face the Balrog. Mm-hmm. I think he knows way earlier and what I love about the introduction of the Balrog, you, you get a lot more from them in the books. You know, there's more of these things down in the underworld, mm. but they're completely surrounded by orcs. It's one of these moments where you're like, how are they going to get out of this one? You know, certain death, they're surrounded by thousands D&D of orcs. d shit. Yeah, d shit. Then suddenly, you know, all of the orcs run away <laughs> because there's a big fucking baddie that's coming. Yeah. Also, the whole staircase thing is really well done. I mean, there's a couple shots that look kind of PS2 like cinematic. Like the broken, the broken Yeah, when they yeah. yes. Yeah, it, some of it, the top down, some of them are a little rough. Green but screen. It's, it still works. You still feel the intensity of it. But the thing that does hold up is the fucking Balrog. Oh, yeah. yes. It looks How did so the Balrog look so cool? so good. So, fun fact about that staircase, that is entirely out of Peter Jackson's mind. Mm-hmm. They just appear, like, on the script it pretty much just said they walked down a staircase like and then peter jackson actually came up with the visual language to this is how we are going to show this staircase descending like you are going down into hell and breaking and falling yeah. and then vigo and, and frodo are sort of balancing on it as it falls forward yeah. i think it's it's those little decisions and those little moments from peter that allow him to inject like little tiny bits of character dialogue so that you can very quickly build up your characters where Gimli is like, yeah, I, no I'm, one throws a yeah, dwarf. Nobody's going to throw me, you know, and he and he fucking makes the jump. He's like, fuck you. And then you get Legolas, who doesn't really say anything, but he's getting point blank headshots on the orcs mm. From, mm. from 300 money. yards away. 360 no scopes. Your money, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so You're so money. You so it, so that, that all happens. They, they cross the stairs. They get to this bridge. You know, you get Gandalf kind of says, you know, this is the bridge to get out. He points to it. Um, it sets us up before we even get to the bridge, like you guys were talking about. And then you have the full on standoff and oh, it's so emotional. Badass. It's, it's so incredibly badass. I could watch that a million times mm-hmm. and like tear up every single time God. because of how well it's acted. The effects look, I don't know how the effects look so good. I don't understand it because there's so many movies from the early 2000s that have shit that looks like oh, this. Yeah. So even that looks like trash now. Even going like back just a little bit to the actual um, the uh, what is it called the creature that the orcs the troll? stick out on yeah the giant troll I it mean, had a name the but troll. yeah the cave troll yeah yeah he ran um, in from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone it's the same troll <laughs> yep, but that like was in Hogwarts that looks better than a lot of the monsters in the Harry yeah. Potter movies that you came out why? later than this because they had the creature department mock up an actual physical troll that they scanned. And, and rendered into a computer. That's, That's I, I wanted cool. to mention uh, that troll is really tragic because you can tell by the time it dies that it's a slave. It doesn't really want to be there fighting. Yeah. Um, it, it adds a little extra layer of evil. Yeah. 
Also, uh, pour another one out for Frodo almost dying. <laughs> yeah, he, get it, he, getting stabbed. Well, I'm like, he, God damn it. But <laughs> he's still like, he goes unconscious. Like, he definitely gets the fucking wind knocked out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he has the, some ribs broken for he has sure. He the elf, the elf shit. He's wearing the mithril. mithril. And, yeah, and, yeah. You for, and you forget, you know, it's one of those things it's like, oh no, he stabbed again. You know, you don't necessarily remember because you don't see him put it on because of the interchange. Yeah. With and they're like, whoa, you thought he was dead, but he's yeah. not. Um, so Gandalf dies quote-unquote and, and he has we'll get to I that mean, he, he has next um, week. the two most iconic lines in the movie which is you shall not pass and then he says fly you fools but in yeah. the books it's like really run you fools or whatever anyway it's delivered like perfectly and yeah he he rocks way too hard <sighs> we can add to he, talk about enough about ian mckellen here's the question does gandalf know that he has a second life ahead of him. No, absolutely not. You you get a little bit more of that in He's the books. He's fully sacrificed. I think in the himself. movie he talks about it too when he comes back. I, I can't remember, but he falls into like the depths of like the there's some crazy shit that goes on while he's like in there before well, there he's is, like reborn. Yeah, there is that scene. Like he fights the or like on his way down. Right, like right. that is shown in the movie. You're at right, least you're in right. the I, it might be in the I think that's in the I theatrical think that's one. in Towers. Yeah. It's yeah, gotta be it's, Towers. Yeah, you're right. It's it's later on. Yeah. Um, so they mourn him and then we get to the other elf, uh, city, the tree city, the yeah, avatar city. Um, kind of Galadriel's, Yeah, directed uh, by James Cameron. Shut up. <laughs> so we're about to be introduced to Kate Blanchett and the only moment that like truly looks atrocious of CGI in the entire movie that just, it makes me just laugh every time that I see it. And I, I'm not going to fault this movie too much because it was made 19 years ago. Um, but when Kate Blanchett goes full like lady in the water look, yeah. um, <laughs> just do, do, do you remember that one? I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling hey, it up. M- here M- it is. Night. Right. <laughs> there she is. Yeah, that's that's the. There's look. the screen cap. She's going full just berserk <laughs> mode. Just, it's, it's going so sicko mode. Yeah, it's, she, the, uh, it's the whites of her eyes being too white. And she said she's really in her own head that entire time because right after she's like, I passed the test. She's. Um, she's really focused on what she's doing, but the most important part of why she's there is I think that she preps Frodo to make the conscious decision that he needs to separate from the group. Mm -hmm. You get the wisdom from Galadriel, um, there's too many variables with everybody kind of around without you're right though, that without that him deciding to leave, even with everything that happens afterward, you'd still be like, what, why are you leaving? Like it it sets it up just enough. But, But doesn't it also show that like, even her can sort of be pulled towards that dark side oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. of yeah, the which, power of the ring. I mean, even well, we also see Gandalf even says, yeah. like, I cannot hold the yeah, ring. At the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's yes, the same yes, with yes, Gandalf. Yes. It, it's yeah, how how strong, yeah, how strong do you have to be? The hobbits generally don't gravitate as much. And then Frodo on Until top that of that ganja. is just, Frodo's just number one good. Frodo boy. for for some reason because the hobbits just unknowingly make all the perfect decisions in the story. Mm-hmm. Gandalf knows that. And Frodo, for some reason, knows exactly who to offer the ring to because he only offers it to the folks that will take it. Mm. Mm. And we love it. We love it. So after this, this is pretty much the end. I mean, there's the big sort of fight with the orcs where Boromir dies, which is really well done. You know, very slow motion, dramatic sort of great Sean Bean death as in every movie that he's in. Yeah, really long. Well done. Yeah, this is. Um, I think it's his long death is really important. I think showing his fortitude and his will and tying up his character, the mistakes that he made, but 
he was really fighting for good the entire time. Yeah, well, you can see that there is like when he tries to take the ring from Frodo and he like comes back into himself, like you can feel you can see that like he's in pain. He realizes like the mistake that he made. Like mm-hmm. I failed. I failed this. Like but I cannot handle the this. movie does a good job at setting up that it is the rings doing, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there is something innately there as just a human man that makes him susceptible to it but he's not a hundred percent to blame it's uh, it's the power of this ring but but it's also like what's deep down inside you it's like the mirror of eris and harry potter like it's showing you like what are your true desires like what do you really want yes because there is also that moment when aragorn feels it and he makes the point to to put it away he closes frodo's hand Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, there's a really good line there where, like, Ar- Aragorn realizes that Frodo is about to go off on his own, but he's he's like, you know, I can protect you from these from everybody else, and Frodo's is like, Frodo's like, can you protect me from you? You know, he, he establishes that he really needs to go off on his own. I wanted to mention, so we get really great action in the movie. Most notably, it's the Battle of uh, Amon Hen where they fight the orcs and the Urukai. We get Lurts. Um, when Boromir dies kind of the visuals and the audio fades a little bit, but you get the screams of Merry and Pippin watching him die, Oof. brandishing their blades. And that's that so was the emotional good. hit for me and shows like how much the fellowship had come together up to that point. <clears throat> that they're like, fuck that, we're gonna fight as much as we can before they get taken. And they joined in- without really knowing what they were getting into. In yep. Rivendell, they're like, we're in, but what yeah, are we doing? What? Literally, yeah. like in that same scene, they're all like, "Yo, I hate you, fuck you," and then yeah. they're like, "All right, well, here well, we go." Well, and isn't that a credit to the filmmaking that we we? Whenever I'm thinking back to like something like Game of Thrones and the reason why like the emotional moments of that show hit is because we spend half a season with them just kind of journeying and hanging out together and camping and talking with each other. And this movie doesn't have a ton of that, but yet those emotional moments still resonate just as well. Like, it's, yeah, I, I, I just don't understand it. Frankly, <laughs> what is Brett? What is the name of these big old statues that they, uh, I couldn't tell you. I think those are like King past Kings of God. Yeah. They yeah. called past them. Ki- some, yeah. Someone called them something like the elders, like, like the past rulers. Yeah. yeah they were. Um, yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah. They look it, it, it looks incredible. I'm so sure those were actually built or something <laughs> in, in a computer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's kind of like they're, they're signaling to like, they're moving on to the next part of the journey and that this is not even close to being over yet. Sure. Um, but even still, you know, we, we do get the, the death of more of uh, Boromir right after that. And, um, he does his dying words are essentially like pledging his loyalty to the would be King Aragorn, mm-hmm. the, the heir to the, the, the right. Throne I, of I, I really like that send off. Yeah. And, um, you know, we haven't talked too much about, um, Elijah Wood, but, uh, I also have here a close up of this man's face as he is crying. Single tear. And, um, wild eyes. I think, so the, the early 2000s saw a lot of uh, similar roles like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man and Daniel Radcliffe in Harry Potter. Um, these sort of like, you know, very uh, vanilla leading men in larger than life tales. Mm-hmm. 
Elijah Wood is the best one of those three hands down. A thousand Whoa. percent. Um, just watch the show Wilfred and uh, that will tell you everything. <laughs> Wilfred is a fucking uh, he, show. He have dog, but dog smokes pot. Uh, have okay. you seen Wilfred? Wilfred's I like guess an I'll incredible tune in. show about depression. Like it, <laughs> that show is so good. They, they nailed it with this guy. Like it's so he's so good, you know, and obviously like it's part of a larger ensemble, but he fucking brings it. He nails it. It's a huge undertaking to play this character, this sort of core of this story. And he knocks it out of the part, in my opinion. I, I think the reason, I mean, I agree with you, but I think the reason that me and Drew might lean a little bit more towards a little bit less of like a perfect job is that he plays a little bit too much into the innocence, which I don't necessarily know is his fault. I think the way that Frodo is perceived in this movie is more deliberate because it's slightly different in the books. He's not so like innocent because you get a lot more into his brain mm -hmm. in the books and a lot more of like what he's actually saying. And where in this movie, he doesn't actually have that many lines. That's a but, good point. But making him more innocent also adds to the mass appeal of it. Right. Because we are following someone we like. And I mean, he doesn't just remain wholly innocent throughout the entire not, not series. Not 100%. Like he does. I mean, this is just watching a full emotional arc of the loss of innocence yeah. throughout these three It's films. just he does a really good job of being broad, which isn't a given. Like that's not an, a necessarily easy thing to do. Uh, it's just uh, beyond this. You know, he hasn't had an insane career. Yeah, he was in that uh, Dirk Gently show, but that wasn't that. He was in that one movie where he's like the neighbor. Yes, the Netflix movie. I, um, I don't feel at home in, in this world. world. Yeah, I don't feel at anymore. home in this world anymore. Yes. He's yeah. good in what he does. Yeah, yeah no, he's I, talented. I think he's a guy who now at this point, like he is going to be getting him, Daniel Ratcliffe and to a lesser extent, Toby Maguire. Toby's he's in gone. There too. Um, when was the last time you saw Toby? No, anything? but well, he's an asshole. Yeah, well, Toby. Yeah, yeah. He's an no, asshole but especially, jail. I mean, I think that the closest comparison to him is Daniel Ratcliffe, where both of them can kind of just pick their spots now because they're going to be getting checks for the rest of their life. Yeah, they're paid they as never fuck. have yeah. to worry about money. Y'all seen Orlando again. Bloom lately? No. Yeah, unfortunately. Except for well, well, except for paddleboarding with Katy well, Perry, fucking butt ass naked with his hog out. Yo, look that up, guys. Yo, Audience, like, look this up. This is real. Let's uh, he's toned. We we can talk more because I think that especially in Two Towers and Return of the King, that Orlando Bloom, it's like I want this guy back in my life. Like there is <laughs> no, there's not an actor like him. Like the way that. He has like, like a pretty man. No, well, he has a charisma, but he also does have a physicality to him, too. That's like very rare that a lot of times people with that combination go the funny man route. Mm. Now they don't play dramatic roles. As he's much. he's having a kid with Katy Perry now. So that that kid is going to uh, have a big old hog and giant titties. <laughs> Dude, I hate Katy Perry. <laughs> Katy Perry's the worst. I yeah, looked up. I looked up his run. So he. He's in like Black Hawk Down with like a tiny, tiny role. And this is like his big coming out party. And then he does Pirates, I remember, I Pirates of the Caribbean. Black Hawk Down. Paid his shit, man. This man's paid till he fucking dies. Then he does Troy uh, yeah. with nice. Brad Pitt. Nice. I think he's a bit too pretty for, to, to go like full on like everyone loves in protagonist mode. And then I really think so. Kingdom of Heaven with Ridley Scott. And that's kind of like the end of the run because past that he does Elizabeth Town with Cameron Crowe and that sort of falls on its face. And then the pirate sequels. And beyond that, there's like nothing. 
Is it is it strange Until that Hobbit. is it funny that Vigo is somehow the most bankable star in 2020 <laughs> out of anyone <laughs> in this fucking movie? McKellen, I mean, you know, Magneto. Yeah, well, McKellen, McKellen <laughs> was already like a he, McKellen was already Sir Ian McKellen before this movie like ever came out. Like he was already a Hall of Fame actor. But I mean, Vigo is you see it more, especially in Return of the King, which um he is a star like you sure. see him in that and you're like, oh, this is the next like a lister, which he never even really became no. that. Oh, I had another point about Vigo I forgot to bring up is he didn't join the production at the same time as everybody else did. He joined way late. This was like a back to the future situation where they had cast another person in the Aragorn. Oh, role. shit. It was who's Toby the, uh, McGuire. Who's the, <laughs> it, who is the who's the Eric Stoltz of. Uh, I was going to um, say it was Eric Stoltz. again. <laughs> <laughs> he got to go live in Dude, New Zealand. Yeah, he's living in a cave. Man, you know who's not paid right now is Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Pour one out for him. So he joined like right before they started filming. And he had to he had no idea about the Lord of the Rings. He didn't know. And then he nails this role. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of like the prop people and like the weapons people were saying that like his handling of like his sword prop was unlike anybody else. Like he treated it with such gravity and seriousness. It was like it was almost like, dude, like calm down. It's like it's a prop sword. (laughs) But he, he knew that it was important. Yeah, it's method. He's good. Um, Okay, the last thing I wanted to mention, which I had really already mentioned, was Sam running in the water um, to chase after. um, Hey, uh, you can't swim. He's like like about to die. He like pretty much dies and he pulls him out of the water and I'm crying. I'm literally like sobbing because these are the friends, the greatest friends that have ever lived. You know, and and also like I, I'm also thinking like Frodo, like you're you need to like acknowledge how good this man is. You know, Samwise is like drowning for you and you won't even like kiss him on the cheek or anything like give him something. Sorry, I just found out who was originally cast as uh, Aragorn. Who? So I think that we should rename like the Eric Stoltz award for like the almost uh, next best actor for is, the oh man I almost the Stuart Townsend award wouldn't have gotten that one. Um, he is in such things as Queen of the Damned, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Head in the Clouds. Mm. This guy could have been like <laughs> the next star. This dude um just didn't make it. You want to know who um. Uh, Jackson's first choice for the role was who denied it due to a scheduling conflict for Aragorn. Oh, somebody I think who I we just this. talked about recently, Thomas Cruz. Yes, um, no, Daniel Day Lewis. Wow, yeah, his second young. choice was Russell Crowe. Daniel Day Lewis would have lacks been, warmth. Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that. I think DDL can fucking do anything. So I DDL believe in would him. be an amazing Saruman. Although <laughs> Chris yeah. Lee is like yeah, he would have been too this. young at that point in two thousand one. Yeah. Um, Russell Crowe would have been interesting. It would have been a definitely a different role. Ugh. But at this point, he is at the height <laughs> nah. of his powers. He just had like two years ago, one best actor and then was nominated for best actor mm-hmm. back to back. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to round off this movie won four Oscars, mm-hmm. cinematography, makeup, score and visual effects. It was nominated for picture. Uh, nominated, McKellen, yeah. a whole 12 were nominated. And the next year... <laughs> 
a whole 12 won. I, no, two no, years no, later. Two years later. Yeah. And yeah. the next year, I think 10 won for Two Towers. No way. Or, t- or 10 were nominated. I mean, 10 yeah. were nominated. No, no. It, Return was like the victory lap where no, they were well, like, 12, okay, let's go ahead and get it. Yeah, Return of the King, it, it has won the most Oscars. It won every Oscar that it was nominated for. 12 for 12. Yeah, just absolutely who, stupid. Who won Best Picture for during Fellowship? Uh, let's see. Oh, oh two, um, Hunter. Come on. Hunter. Three is Chicago. You just saw this. Um, was a beautiful mind. Beautiful, beautiful mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. The, now, there you go. Fuck. This is better than a beautiful Okay, okay, mind. okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is a pop percent. quiz. This is a pop quiz for Hunter. Who won Best Actor that year? Um, For 2000, for Fellowship year? Yes. Beautiful mind year? Um, Russell Crowe did not win. I know Russell Crowe won the year before for Gladiator. Oh, it is one of my top five favorite movie performances ever won. And oh, I think fuck. it fully deserves it. Oh, it's uh, D- um, Denzel. Training Denzel Day, for baby. Training Day. Okay. Absolutely there we go. fucking rock. Good job. D- Training Day should have won Best Picture that year. I'd give it. I'd, I'd give it up. I mean, I'd, if it wasn't going to go who beat Who beat uh, Peter Jackson for Best Director? Um, It wasn't for Training Day. This is a tough beat. Um. It's it's Ronnie Howard. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you won for yeah, yeah, you won for Beautiful Mind. I he I beat David Lynch. No, I know. So I <laughs> I should have known this. I just did uh, for those of you who are interested in um, my ramblings. Um, check out my letterbox. I've been doing a review. Uh, so uh, I wrote a thing. I I've been doing a review <laughs> for every single Oscar movie, and I do go on like a whole paragraph long rant about why I hate Ron Howard, and I'm like maybe it stems because he beat Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. and David Lynch, which Mulholland Drive might be like the greatest directed movie of all time. Here, here's a better one this, because this Lord of the Rings has incredible sound editing. Guess who won best sound editing? There are only two is nominees. It, is it Beautiful Mind? Pearl, Pearl Harbor. Baby. Pearl Harbor. Yes. Let's fucking oh, go. The, Pearl that Harbor was the movie, sucks so hard. It's the movie God. that was meant to like sweep. Yeah. Michael so Bay was watch. like, uh, he was like rubbing his <laughs> Pearl nipples. Harbor is like one of the least. If you guys ever tried. Have you guys seen Pearl Harbor? Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. It's, it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it's atrocious. It was one of my grandma's favorite movies. And she had a dual VHS uh, pack because it couldn't all fit on one VHS Sign number one that there might be something wrong with your movie unless it's like a grand epic. Um, yeah, that movie's terrible. That movie is the reason why I hated Ben Affleck for years. Big upset year for animated feature Shrek beat Monsters Inc. Yep. <laughs> that and, rocks. And it Shrek beat one is amazing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's it's it was an upset at the time because Pixar was well, uh, but you didn't mention the other nominee, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. Yeah, nominated Man. for Oscar nominated film. <laughs> Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. All the parents has gone from Earth, and now we can do anything we want, but now we want our mommy We're back. We're the kids in America. Yeah. Well, what's, what's his catchphrase? He's like, I'm going to come. <laughs> that's uh, Carl Weezer's yeah, catchphrase. No, that's, that's what Frodo says when he puts the ring on. <laughs> oh, my oh. God. <laughs> all right. I think it's time at that point to close this podcast. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we'll be back with Two Towers and mm-hmm. Return of the King next week. Probably won't fit them all, uh, both of them, in the same week because we also have a Tenet. Are you Are you going to go see Tenet, Drew? I'll, listen, I have to. For the pod, I will uh, kill be myself. Careful. Be careful. Well. Be fucking careful. Okay. Uh, listeners, I will. I'm not going to like say anything uh, for or against you. If you live in a uh, place that is bad right now with COVID, do not risk it. 
wait until this is not the movie that will save cinemas. Wait until you can see it at home. Uh, Brett, any final thoughts? You want to plug your stream again? Um, I mean, first of all, with with Lord of the Rings, don't let the runtime suede you. No, it, it they're all yeah. on HBO Max. Very we easy to put probably on. should put that up at the top. <laughs> but, but also, but also nowadays, like I spent three dollars to watch this movie. Yeah, like it's kind of a renaissance for for just renting movies online. Mm -hmm. You're right. Um, very watchable. It won over me. I'm not even the hugest fantasy guy, but this movie, I was like, oh, this is beyond fantasy. This is just a good movie. I mean, this is as good as fantasy yeah. gets, in my opinion. So Popsicle yeah. Profit, huh? Yeah. So check me out on Twitch. It's Popsicle Profit. No spaces, no nothing. Check me out. I'm going to be streaming Spellbreak. I'm going to have these guys on there. So if you like this podcast, come fucking hang out with us. Mm -hmm. It's going to be I'll a be blast. in the comments saying slurs. <laughs> yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. Getting banned. <laughs> We got lots of good ideas. Yeah. Drew's going to get me banned. Yeah. Day one. <laughs> so you better tune in. By the time this podcast comes out, tune in tonight or else it might be gone. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thanks for coming on. We're going to have you on again for Towers in Return. Yep. Um, it's it's kind of great that movies are semi canceled because we get the chance to dive into this classic trilogy. Mm -hmm. It's. Uh, I'm, I'm loving I'm not loving 2020 <laughs> that's the wrong phrase but um I've seen more movies this year than I have in my entire life and I've seen the less amount of new movies this year than I have since before we started this podcast yeah but we wouldn't we wouldn't have the chance to to dive into the Lord of the Rings trilogy if we had to talk about like all of this other crap we had to talk about would, trolls too like I wanted to yeah um but you know beyond that there's still a new Charlie Coffin movie coming out and a new uh, Mulan joint uh, remake thing. I think that's it. Beyond Tenet, uh, that might be the only one. So stick around. Thanks for donating. Uh, all you donors love out you. there. And follow us online at We Bought a Mic on social media. Email us, mic at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Peace. Brett. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Bye. Bye.